You're listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast, a recording of the Sunday sermons from Christ Church Toronto. Christ Church Toronto is a new church in Toronto's East End that seeks to practice the ancient Christian faith today. We would love for you to join us in the future, but until then, please turn your attention to the scripture reading. The scripture reading this morning is from Philippians chapter 1, verse 1 to 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel and the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in your in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge in all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord for our church, and it was given for our good. Well, thank you so much, Diana. Let's pray before we turn our attention to this passage. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, may the words now of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, for you are our rock. You are our Redeemer. Bring us more and more into your new creation by the power of the Holy Spirit through this your word preached to your people. We ask in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, less than a month ago, the Gallup Company, which is famous for conducting public opinion polls, came out with a new report that said only 47% of Americans belong to a house of worship. They identified a house of worship as a church, a mosque, or a synagogue, but only 47% say they belong to a house of worship. This number became more interesting when Gallup reported that in 1999, when they asked the same question to the general American public, in 1999, 70% of Americans said they belong to a house of worship. In a little over 20 years, the U.S. population has gone from 70% committed to an institutional place of worship down to 47%. And as this research was released, people searched for causes. And Barna was able to report, uh, at least uh, as it relates to COVID-19, another organization was able to report that part of what they're finding is that Christians are no longer committed to their local church after the lockdowns, after the shutdowns. In fact, according to this other organization, Barna, One in three Christians say that they attend the same church that they attended prior to the COVID outbreak. While this has certainly contributed to the decline, though, the number one reason people believe that there's been this crash in belonging to places of worship amongst the general American public is the rise of a group of people known as the nuns, not the women in the Roman Catholic orders, but the nuns, those who have no religious affiliation. 
According to this survey released less than a month ago, 20% of the American public now identify as belonging to no religious affiliation. Now, this is the U.S., but we know the trends in Canada aren't much different, and if anything, they usually are more severe. In fact, in 2013, Pew, another organization, did a survey in Canada and found that 24% of Canadians identify as nuns. That's in 2013, already 4% higher than the U.S. I'm nearly certain that COVID-19 and the lockdowns and the changing of culture has drastically changed our culture as well, and there's no way that number has gotten any lower. What's difficult, though, as we think about this being a difficult time for the institutional church, a hard time to belong to an institutional church, which is actually most sad of all for me as I read these reports, and I'm assuming for you, is not just that we live in a tough time, but what's so hard is that I think I get it. I think I understand why people don't want to be a part of an institutional place of worship, but let's just say a part of an institutional church. Because it seems like almost daily we read of another scandal within the church. Not just in those churches out there, but churches that we had respect for previously. It's even if you're a committed Christian, even if you find it easy to say that you are a faithful member of a church, you must admit that these scandals make it hard for you to be excited and passionate about being connected to an institutional church. In some senses, we know that all churches will eventually let us down in some ways. Why should we be part of a church? Well, we're starting a new sermon series and it's going to take us through through July, actually, looking at Paul's letter to a church in Philippi. Philippi was the first church that was started in Europe. You can read about it in Acts 16. It's a wild story. Paul receives a mystical vision of a man saying, come to Macedonia and, and help us. And the church has, has this phenomenal start. It first starts with some Jewish converts led by a woman named Lydia, who was a businesswoman uh, who made purple dyes. And as the as the Christian message spreads throughout the city, it makes an impact on the local commerce and a riot breaks out. Paul and his colleagues are thrown into jail. Then there's an earthquake. They're supernaturally released from jail. And even the jailers who were supposed to be watching over them end up becoming followers of Jesus. And this is the church in Philippi. And one thing that you will not be able to miss as we study this letter is that Paul loved this church. Paul loved this church. It gave him great delight to reflect upon and remember and think about and pray for this church. And we know that during Paul's time, the church was plagued with difficulties not altogether different from the ones that we experience today. And yet Paul was committed to and loved this church and wanted the believers there to be committed as well and love their church. And in this first opening of the letter, this joy-filled opening, just 11 verses, I want to wrestle through this question, why be part of a church? Why commit to a local church, whether that be Christ Church Toronto or another? And I believe in this opening, the Apostle Paul gives us three reasons we should be committed to the local church. So why be committed to the church? We're going to look at three reasons that I see in this introduction as to why we should be committed to the local church. And the first reason is that Paul says the church is the place where we receive and we're reminded of our new identity. Or we receive and are reminded of our new identity. What is that identity? Well, we see it in the very opening of this letter. How does it start? Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. What is this new identity? Well, Paul identifies the recipients of this letter as saints. 
as holy ones, set apart ones. But he also identifies himself as a servant, which is probably better translated as slave. It's interesting, Philippi, though a great distance from Rome, many kilometers from Rome, in a region that was a heavily Greek region, uh, the, the trade language in the area would have been Greek, was actually a Roman colony, a Roman outpost. And this was a result of the fact that two major Roman wars took place there after uh, Julius Caesar was assassinated and the civil war takes place in the Roman Empire. And Philippi becomes a city that those soldiers who fought in those wars could retire in and receive sort of an honorary, uh, sort of honor as they retire. They could receive sort of a a, uh, a nice retirement settlement in the city of Philippi. And so though they're in this predominantly Greek region, though, Philippi is very proud of its Roman status, especially in light of all the soldiers who are being honored for their service to the empire. We know from archaeological digs that this area was uh, used Latin as one of the primary languages, despite being in a very, very Greek area. We know that their buildings mimicked Roman architecture, not Greek architecture. And we also know from, from archaeology that this was a region obsessed with titles, as you can imagine, with people being honorably retired from the Roman military. Now, it's into that world obsessed with titles and status, uh, is obsessed with rank, that Paul doesn't identify himself as apostle, as he does in almost every other letter he writes to churches, as one of the unique founders of this movement known as Christianity. He doesn't use his title of apostle. Instead, he refers to himself as a slave. And at that, he makes him equal with a man named Timothy, who was not an apostle either. Paul, to this world of obsessed with credentials, this world obsessed with status, the one who has the ability to use the title, who has all the credentials and status, he identifies as a slave of Jesus Christ, one belonging, purchased by Jesus Christ, one at the beck and call of Jesus. And yet he writes to the, the saints at Philippi. Now, when we hear saints, what do you think of? I'm guessing you think of upstanding moral human beings. You know, she is such a saint. It'd be interesting for you to know that in the Bible, the word uh, holy or saint has a different meaning. It simply means something that is set apart for a distinct purpose or use. In the Bible, spoons and bowls, even the ground can be deemed holy. At first, uh, being a saint or being a holy one is not a reference to one's morals. It's a reference to being set apart. And this is good news, because this means at the beginning of our understanding of what it means to be a saint is a foundational belief that we can't ultimately make ourselves holy. God has to do this for us. We have to be set apart by the Holy One as holy. And he does this by setting his love upon his people. By looking over the earth and saying, this one is mine, that one is mine, and setting apart his people to be his people distinguished from the rest of the earth. He did this most clearly and most vividly in sending his son Jesus to offer his life as a sacrifice so that his people could not only be set apart, but could be purified by the work of Jesus on our behalf. We are set apart by the love of God, and in that we receive this identity as a saint a saint, but also a slave. On Friday night, I was on a walk, kind of late at night, actually. It was quite dark, and I was reflecting on this dual identity of slave and saint. And I heard a man yell, help, help. And I looked over, and I saw a man in one of the Toronto City housing uh, projects uh, sitting there on the stairs yelling for help. 
Now I had my headphones on and I was on a walk and I did my best to try to ignore this man. Then I saw a young woman with her dog turn around and go back to offer help to this man and I felt pretty horrible. I went over to this man and he had one of those four-wheel walkers and he had some groceries and in broken English he told me that his apartment was on the third floor that his son was supposed to be home, but his son had decided to leave, and he didn't know if his son would be back tonight, and he didn't know how to get up to his room. Now, he had no mask on. I didn't think I had a mask. I reached my hand in my pocket, and sure enough, I did have one. I put my mask on. He used his keys to open the building door. The whole time, I wanted to say no. The whole time, I wanted to say, this is sketchy. I don't want to be bothered by this. But there was this young woman with her dog ready to help if I wouldn't. And I remembered, at the end of the day, I'm a slave of Christ. And I helped this man get up three flights of stairs, carried his groceries, and carried his walker. The whole time I'm thinking, I am going to get mugged. Something is about to happen. And he said one more thing, and he reached into his pocket before I left. He was kind of blocking me from the stairs. And he extended a $20 bill and tried to pay me for helping him. And all I could say, the first thing that came to my mind was, no, thank you. I'm just a servant. I'm just a slave of Jesus Christ. Now, I made it out safe. I'm happy to report, and I'm not recommending others do something like this. And as I made it out, there was this woman with hand sanitizer waiting to give it to me and letting me know she was waiting to know that I came back safe. Now, why do I share this? I share this because it was reflecting on my identity, this identity we have as a church, as both slaves and saints, that challenged my way of thinking. I wouldn't have helped this man had I not been thinking about the fact that I am a slave of Jesus Christ. And in fact, the, only, the, the main reason I did stop to help this man was because I saw this young woman willing to help him when I wasn't, and I felt like garbage. I am no hero in this story. I only helped this man because I didn't like the thought of knowing this woman went and helped this man with whatever he needed. I didn't feel holy in the slightest as I continued on with my walk. I felt like garbage. And as I reflected on the fact that I'm a slave of Christ, and therefore I will offer up good works when they are put before me. I also am reminded that I am a holy person, not because of what I ultimately do, but because of what Jesus has done for me. I'm a holy person because God set his love upon me, not because I do the good works with the good motives at the right time. The church is the place where we hear that we have this new identity. We're reminded of it when we forget that we are slaves and saints at the exact same time. We've received God's love, and we are to be agents that spread this love. But next, why be part of the church? Not just that we receive a new identity, but it's also that the church is the place where we experience transformation. Now, where do we see this? We see this most clearly in in verse 6, where Paul says that he is sure, he's certain, that the good work God started inside of the church, he will bring to completion. Now, I'm sure God is at work in everyone's life in our world, whether they know it or not. But Paul knows one thing, and that is that God doesn't give up on projects. He finishes all of his tasks. He completes things. And if God started something, which Paul believes God started something in this church, something special was happening, something happened inside of each one of their lives and was taking place inside of this church. If God started something, he was going to finish it. He was going to bring it to completion. And this is good news. Listen, if God started something in your life and you feel like you're going through a dry season, you wonder what's going on. Why do I feel so disconnected from God? God is not done with you. He is still working. Paul says this, we can be certain what he starts, he will finish. 
by my house, there's a dentist's office with one of these uh, signs in the window with a, someone with the, you know, the perfectly glorious white smile trying to entice me to use this dentist. And above the smile is this phrase, creating the perfect you. That's the tagline of this dentist's office. I've often wanted to go in there and say, wow, you can create the perfect me? (laughs) How much does this cost? Certainly, I don't have the right type of benefits to go to a place that can create the perfect me. What's interesting is Paul is saying in some ways that this is a sign that can be hung outside of the church, not necessarily because of our work, but because God has promised to work in the church. And God is working to create the perfect you in all of his people. God's work is still unfolding. There's more creativity, more excitement to come. And God is uniquely focused on working out his salvation and his plan in his people uh, inside the church. Personal transformation is experienced in the church. But what does this look like? Well, Paul gives us details in verse 9, where he shows us that his prayer for the church is they would grow more skilled in loving one another that their love may abound more and more with all knowledge and discernment, and so that they might approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. What's that fruit of righteousness? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. How is this transformation experienced in the church? Well, Paul is saying that it's experienced by living with one another, helping out one another, being helped by one another. The transformation Paul is praying for, and Paul knows God is doing inside of the church, is a transformation that cannot be experienced alone in isolation. There will be people that we don't enjoy in the church, people we struggle to get along with. And Paul is saying, as we learn and grow in our ability to love and serve these people and receive service from these people, we will be transformed. We will become more compassionate more capable of loving, and more capable of being loved. The church for Paul is kind of like, you remember those old rock tumbler polishing machines? You'd find some rocks while you're out on a walk. You would throw them in this machine with a couple of chemicals, and it would rotate for hours, make that annoying noise in the background all day long. But as the rocks would collide and spin, what would happen? You would pull out from this rock tumbler a beautiful piece of art. The rock would be so beautifully polished, it could easily be added to any piece of jewelry. Paul is saying this is what God does in the church. As his people, people collide, as they struggle to get along, as they bounce back and forth and tumble into one another, he is transforming his people into these beautiful well-shining sort of works of art, these stunning rocks that will become uh, beautiful uh, beautiful pieces uh, within this grand creation that he's recreating and making. God loves us as we are, but he loves us too much to allow us to stay the way that we are. And he's given us the church, the body, where we can receive God's love and extend God's love to others. He's given us this organization where the rough edges can be tumbled off of us and we can become truly the human being we were always supposed to be. This happens through making small talk weekly and through giving meals when people are in difficult situations. This happens in praying with people and studying God's word. This happens in having laughs with people as you recreate. This can't happen, though, if you won't commit to a local church. Commit to sisters, commit to brothers, even when they drive you crazy. This is the means by which God is making you shine. So why be part of the church? Why commit? The church is where personal transformation is experienced. But now thirdly, 
Paul goes beyond personal transformation. And he gives us an answer. Why be part of the church? He says, because the church is where we participate in a purpose. The church is where we participate in a purpose. As we move through the letter, Paul is going to tell us more and more about this purpose that the church has in God's plan. But we, we will learn that Paul is in prison as he writes this letter. And his prisons were not like our prisons. There were not three meals a day and a nice bed to sleep in. In fact, if you did not have someone coming to bring you food, you would die. And he's actually writing this letter as a response because the Philippian church actually sent a man named Epaphrodites with money to help Paul in the midst of his imprisonment, to give Paul a servant that would get him through this time in prison. And he's writing a letter back to the church saying, thank you. Thank you for helping me. And he refers to his relationship to the church in verse 5 as a partnership in the gospel. At the heart of this passage, verse 7, Paul says that they are partaking in the grace of God and Paul's ministry, both in his defense, or sorry, both in his imprisonment and defense and confirmation of the gospel. Paul is saying that the Philippian church participates in a purpose much bigger than any one of their own individual lives. A purpose, though, that's also much bigger than any organization in human history. The church is partnering with Paul. That's the centerpiece of this passage. They are partners with him in the advancement of the gospel. Now, what is the gospel? The gospel is that God is fixing all things, that he's polishing all things. He's breaking off those rough edges. He's separating that which is toxic. He's reconciling all things that don't balance. The gospel is the good news that God in Jesus is repairing everything. And he's starting first by repairing his relationship with his creatures. He sent his son to become one of us, to be a real human being, to do what no human being ever had done, to live a life at every juncture that, that God was pleased with, and to give of that life, to sacrifice that life on the cross. Everywhere in Jesus' life, he was using his life to bring glory and praise to God, the way that humans were meant to live. And at Jesus' death, God looks down from earth on Jesus' dead body and says, this man lived the way it was supposed to be. He doesn't deserve death, and he resurrects Jesus from the dead, never to experience death again. This is the gospel, that a genuine cure, a genuine cure for uh, the world has been found. Maybe I could put it this way, a vaccine from a disease which has required us to physically distance from God has been discovered. And this vaccine has now come to us and is available to us in Jesus Christ, in the blood of Jesus. We now can receive this vaccine so we can draw near to God, be restored in our relationship with God. No longer be part of the problem, but be part of the solution. As this relationship with Jesus takes control of us, it informs all that we do. And we now start living our lives for the glory and praise of God, as Paul says in verse 11. Our lives are part of this greater purpose to make God's goodness known in a world that has long forgotten it. And what Paul sees, even as he sits chained to a prison guard in, at this time, is that the small financial gift and the sending of Epaphroditus really was a, a way in which uh, the Philippian church were partners with him in this common mission to see this good news advance. As the Philippian churches live out their faith, as they stick with him in the midst of his imprisonment rather than being embarrassed and running into hiding, they are simply not contract workers with him or temp workers with him, but they are partners with him as we participate in God's grand plan to make all things right. Do you know this purpose? Do you conduct your life as though you might be 
the glove God puts on to set the world to its right, to heal that which is broken? Do you ever stop and look back at your day and say, where did I see God use me to advance this new kingdom that's breaking into this world today? Here's Paul sitting in prison. All seems lost. And yet with this gift, he is able to re-narrate all of the suffering that is going on in his life and saying, this is part of God's bigger plan to make all things right. Thank you for partnering with me. So why be committed to the church? We said first, because the church is the place where we are reminded of our identity as both slaves and saints. Why be committed to the church? Because it's the place where we experience personal transformation, the rough edges sanded off. And why be part of the church? Because it's the place where we can participate in a greater purpose. God is transforming the world and he invites us to be part of that. So if you're listening here, and you've never attended a church or you've never actually settled down and committed to a church, I would invite you to first do that by entering into a relationship with Jesus. Simply acknowledge your need of his love, acknowledge your need of this vaccine, and commit to following him, whatever that might look like. And if you're already part of a church, enter into your church more fully. Double down on your commitment to the people around you, especially the ones that drive you crazy. I'd challenge you to do this even more so as the pandemic has made it extremely challenging for us to figure out what it looks like to be the church together during this trying time. This is my charge to you. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ChristChurchToronto.ca or email us at info at ChristChurchToronto.ca.